0: Kim, thank you so much for doing this with me. Welcome to the podcast. You are a human resources and talent acquisition leader with over 20 years of experience. I'm very grateful to have you on board.
1: Perfect. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for doing this. We were just discussing before hitting the record button that there's a couple of topics we're particularly interested in. And so let me kick off by asking you, What do you believe has changed over the past few years in the workplace? Obviously, a lot has changed in the world. We come from a pandemic. A lot of things have happened, good and bad. What has changed within the workplace, do you believe?
1: I think the most consistent change that I'm seeing in the workplace is that most teams are now still embracing the globally distributed and remote model which you know historically before covid there was teams that were doing that i actually worked at github and we had in, uh, embraced that very early on because that was very true to the product that we were building that you could collaborate from anywhere but what i what ended up happening as a result of the pandemic is that people were all forced into that model and then now obviously since covid is is in a better position um, some teams are still continuing that way, but now I think we're actually in a much more complicated um approach versus us all having the same experience, which was when we were all remote, to now this hybrid model where some people are remote, some people are not. And that's the biggest piece is like truly navigating. How do you work together where you're not always physically together? And then some people don't have that same experience. So it's trying to still keep it, you know, playing a level playing field where people don't feel like they're being left out or they're not included because, you know, they're choosing to work from somewhere else besides an office. And how do you really navigate those things? I think it really puts a lot more back on a leader um, to be really solid with their vision and their communication. But it does bring out. Um, a lot more requirements to go the extra mile to still build community, but through these new tools and approaches.
0: Do you think that the situation that we have now, meaning this endless debate between, oh, should we go for a hybrid model? Should we uh, call employees back to the office? Should we let them work from home? Um, Has it simply been accelerated in the past few years? Meaning, was it bound to happen anyway?
1: I think with the, you know, the, a lot of the tools that were becoming available, whether it's collaboration tools like Atlassian or GitHub or any of those types of tools or the video tools like we're using today, which has really seen a lot of improvement from where we were, whether it's Zoom or, you know, Google or whatever tool you use, I think those were going to push us there anyways. The beauty of, you know, if you can find some positives in terms of COVID, what COVID did is it just accelerated it. And I think a lot of individuals figured out, one, it's beneficial. I think employers have figured out it's cost effective if you can do it well. And so it accelerated it. And I think it forced a few organizations that would have never considered it to actually have to do it and realize that there is some real value to it if done right.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And I will throw you a bit of a curveball, if I may. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously, if I understand correctly, um, the way you put it is that technology in this sense can be good or bad. It it just really depends on how you use it and how you look at it, right? Um, One of the main concerns about leveraging technology too much in some cases is that the value of the so-called face-to-face is somehow dropped or the face-to-face conversations are somehow devalued. Is it something you agree with? Or do you think that technology in this case can somehow compensate and almost get us to where we were before?
1: Yeah, that's that big question of whether technology serves humanity or are we serving technology question, right? That's a big one. Um, I do think that technology has enabled it. Um, and there are important things though that still can help bridge that gap. I, even though I myself have worked remotely since, oh, I don't know, my, my start at GitHub. So we're looking at like seven, eight years now and that I've been a remote leader, um, in, in my role. So obviously it's, you know, one of the most people driven organizations you can be a part of is the people team. Um, and so, you know, I've done it myself, but I do think, um, you know, I still, as I mentioned to you, I was last week, I was traveling and the week before I was traveling as well. And so those face-to-face time, that's still valuable. And I don't think that technology will ever completely negate the benefit that you get from that. So I still, I'm an advocate of doing both. So use technology that should help your day-to-day. But if you can get people together, even if it's just occasional, like once or twice a year, then once you build those relationships that are, you know, only get in real life, Um, it ends up helping you when you do go back and then use, you know, video or Slack as your only means of interaction. So I still believe in, even though I love working from home, I still believe that you need to support it as much as you can. I don't know how those orgs that are those companies that do absolutely no FaceTime, no travel. That's, That's a tough one. And I think, you know, as a people leader, I think it would really challenge the connections that you could have. Uh, and the community that you're building internally.
0: That's a great answer. Do you believe we're becoming more intentional in our face-to-face interactions because of this? So what I mean is because of the current situation and because you know some of us may prefer to work um, by a hybrid model or entirely remotely, then we lose some of those Chats at the coffee machine, some of those casual, entirely casual conversations. While now it seems that a lot of those interactions you almost have to seek out. So you're a bit more maybe intentional with those with those situations. Do you think is that the case? And is that for good or for bad? And this is another difficult question to answer, but I'm curious about your opinion.
1: Yeah, no, I think it is absolutely the case. You know, it's it's rare that you reach out to anybody on Slack and just say, Hey, how are you? That's It's usually I'm reaching out because I need something or there's something specifically we're working on. So most of the interactions become very task based um, and you lose that whole like element of getting to know each other, which can come from, you know, a chat at the coffee shop or, you know, even just sometimes the starting before a meeting starts where people are asking, you know, how's your day? How's your family I do think you can overcome it though, but I I go back again to, it really puts a lot on the leaders, the managers. I mean, you always have those like people that are culture champions, like those are the ones that are often doing it. It puts a lot on that. And I think teaching people how to really think about that still is very, very important so we do a number of things to try to keep those connections going. Because I do think, you know, if you look at like, typically why do people leave organizations? Most of the time they leave organizations because of the old adage of their manager for the most part, or there may be stalling in growth, but what ends up when you do engagement surveys most people stay in an organization because of their relationships with their colleagues and their coworkers. So you have to figure out how to still have that be rich, important, Meaningful to the individuals, and I think you know it can be overcome. But I think it's really about being thoughtful and intentional.
0: Hmm. Speaking of relationships, and that's that's interesting because that's exactly, you know, it, it's almost it's almost obvious, right? Like that people people are somehow social animals, and they want to be surrounded by other people. And 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 it's great that uh, that you can bond with uh, with colleagues if you get along and all of that. And speaking of that, and on the same note. Um, We were just discussing before hitting the record button about the the loneliness issue, which, as far as I understand, is particularly harsh on leaders. How has Mm -hmm. that changed uh, over the past few years? Uh, Were there any uh, developments for good or bad?
1: Mm -hmm. I do think that... Again, again, kind of going back to like, ev- everybody because of COVID was forced into the same experience. So we think we got really creative, especially as leaders. You know, you saw trivia, um, you know, trivia days that were on Zoom. You saw that a lot of companies do really smart things around like escape rooms. And I think because we had to figure it out and didn't have a lot of time to really worry about, you know, how amazing this is. I mean, you saw some really creative things like cooking classes, all of that. And so because of that, you've got some tools that probably wouldn't have existed. And that has helped a lot with the belonging. I think the loneliness Um, now people have to value those things. People have to really, you know, think about using those items you know it really depends again going back to your leaders making sure that it's not not all just business because some that's again going back to why people sometimes get that loneliness feeling um the other thing it ends up putting a lot on is especially in these more hybrid models you know you're going to have face-to-face conversations with some individuals and you're going to have um you know messages that are not face-to-face it puts a lot on the importance of async communications as well. Things need to be written down. People need to hear the same thing at the same time, you know, make sure that we're following up, but that's, again, going back to that way you can support these types of models better is really think through writing things down, making sure you have like, you know, simple things like AMAs as leaders. So ask me anything, let's get through your, you know, your toughest of questions, having forums where people can ask anonymous questions like really think through your strategy on how you can help support that. So it doesn't feel like just because you're not in the office, you're missing something. At at GitHub, um, because we had practiced at this for so long before, uh, you know, before going into COVID where everyone was remote, um, you know, we had 25% of the staff that was working on site and the rest were kind of distributed working from home. We actually then like intentionally leveled the playing field. No meeting could have half on Zoom and half in the room. We actually moved. Even if you were on site, you would go and you would do Zoom. And so everyone had the same experience and someone we went and fall into the trap of accidentally like walking to a whiteboard and trying to write something that half the room, you know, the Zoom team can't see. And we really started to lean into tools like that. And I think, you know, being wise about those types of things, thinking through your strategy, not forgetting the people on Zoom, making sure you're, you know, um, intentionally asking questions, trying to normal level the playing field as much as possible are ways you can you can really address it
0: that makes a lot of sense thanks for thanks for sharing and as you were speaking i was thinking and i may be wrong here so correct me please if that's the case but uh, leadership is usually a position that is almost by default lonely sometimes right you I... you automatically are surrounded by less peers um and uh, and you automatically sometimes end up lonelier than than other than other colleagues and this was the case before all of this remote frenzy before the pandemic. Leadership was was already um, somehow, passing me the term, a lonely position. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and now, of course, leaders are not only faced with the issues that they had, be- they had before, but also with somehow the need of being up to date with all these tools, with these best practices. They need to be comfortable obviously with uh, with uh, having these AMAs getting all this constant feedback um, has this somehow widened the gap between leadership and and the rest of the team so to speak? and I know that of course like you said there are some tools that can that leaders can somehow leverage to make things better, but has this made the job of a leader a lot more difficult?
1: Absolutely. I can't remember exactly where I read it. Um, But quite a few years ago, there was an article that came out that said the loneliest job in in any organization is always the CEO's role. And it's... They're on the front line. They're always, you know, having to be the decision makers. They get decision fatigue. They don't have, you know, a a peer, let's say, you know, even in my role as the chief people officer, I have a peer. I can go and talk to, you know, people that are are largely at the same level as I am. But then, you know, as the CEO, they don't have a peer and the board is not their peer. Um, The board is definitely there for a different stuff, governance and helping with decision making. And so it really does. And then you compound it with like a lot of the movement in terms of bringing your whole self to work, which I think is a beautiful model, wasn't what was existing, you know, earlier on in a lot of like kind of classic org structures of kind of your packaged self and you left everything at, you know, outside the work world, but we've really evolved to this, bring your whole self to work. So what I see is, you know, CEOs are navigating like, a lot of complexities. You know, now we're openly talking about mental health and all of that within the workplace. We're openly openly talking about inclusivity and how do we make people feel more comfortable? And you, you know, then you still have the classic business challenges. And so having a leader and a CEO that has to navigate all of that, it's an incredibly tough position where I've seen the most, you know, the most success for um, CEOs that I've supported in my career is they actually need to build their network. They need to build, you know, have an executive coach, have you know a peer group that you're a part of that are you know, set with CEOs and other organizations. Like sometimes you just need help to think through an idea and have it be a safe space. Um, and so really making sure that they surround themselves too with someone that they can have where they, or a team that they feel like they belong to themselves is, is very important. Um, as well as I would argue a lot of CEOs don't take care of their own, you know, burnout. Oftentimes you see, you know, founders um, are really not navigating their own um, burnout to keep themselves healthy and fresh. And so being able to make sure that you hold yourself accountable to that burnout and uh, really making sure that your, your mental health is being thought through, you know, that serve yourself so you can serve others approach or feed yourself. So you can, you know, help others. I think is a super important piece, especially at that most senior role.
0: Is it, is it easy somehow now, do you believe for leaders then to bring their own selves to work? So, Obviously, they have to be supportive and aware of their own people bringing their own self to work. Does it apply to them as well? Or is it getting increasingly difficult?
1: I think, you know, what I've seen is a move towards, you know, CEOs being humans too, not humans in the sense of, you know, their power and control. And you're afraid of those. But being honest about, you know, being parents themselves, having moments where, you know, they've had imposter syndrome or any of those types of feelings. I've seen a trend towards that. We want more. I think as, as a group of people in a workforce, we want more honesty, more transparency. It often helps when a CEO will tell a personal story. I think it really builds that connection. Though they're always still on, you know, I mean, they're the leader. And so we're always constantly making sure that they're standing up and showing up as a leader. But I do think it's becoming more and more common that you see more and more genuineness as the requirement for a true leader.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And... There was another part of the discussion that we wanted to cover, and I think it's particularly interesting, uh, which is onboarding, right? There was there was a couple of points that we were particularly eager to discuss, and I'm wondering whether the idea of onboarding applies to leaders as well, right? We've covered a lot of issues, a lot of hardships somehow that leaders can go through. Um, could they leverage... Onboarding in their favor is it something that could be beneficial to leadership as well?
1: Absolutely, onboarding I think has often got it doesn't always get the attention it deserves. It is such an important moment, even you know after the offer is accepted, before the person starts, and then for the first ninety days, I say that that is exceptionally difficult for um, any leader that comes in as well because there's some expectation that you're going to hit the ground, you're going to you know have all these great ideas. But with most modern structures, you know, really you're looking much more for a collaborative leader. And so if you come in with a prescriptive, like, here's the answer, here's the solution, you're also going to alienate people. So it's really about thinking through, you know, your listening plan and having a, a, a an approach to it. And I think that goes all the way up. I've had the benefit um, at New York Foundation of actually onboarding a CEO and you know, she's incredible and she did a lot of background work, but what we ended up doing was really giving her a, a a great opportunity to get a lot of exposure before she came in day one. And then what that ended up helping is day one, the, um, you know, she she was absolutely uh, the CEO was a change. It was very clear and it gave us the confidence, but there's a, there's a period of time still, you're still ramping and you really want to meet people and learn. And so I always look at onboarding and it does not change for me for a leader. It's about learn your role, learn your team, learn your org, build your network. It's the four things that you should be accomplishing in that. And having a plan for that is super important, especially in a remote environment, like remote Makes it much, much, much harder sometimes to do those four things. So without an, a project plan, you're, those things are not going to happen because there's going to be the demands of the job. You're going to have this, this, this like you know, you're going to have this pressure of trying to deliver value right away. And so if you don't have those structured components to it, people often will shortcut things. And most of the time, it's at their own, you know, it's at the sacrifice of their own success or health at times.
0: It's almost like what you told me is that there was a pre-onboarding before the actual onboarding, right?
1: Yeah, there is. There's an opportunity there. Now, not everybody has the luxury of any breaks between, you know, this role to their next role. But, you know, I think it's a continuous process from somebody becoming a candidate to someone becoming fully onboarded. And good... Companies look at, or good organizations look at, having some structure along along the way. You know, everybody's super excited when they get the offer; they say yes. Both sides are excited, but then you can create this dead air where you know. I think a lot of people who are being honest with themselves start going through the imposter syndrome or oh, second guessing. You know, there's some there's some tough stuff in there. Sometimes you're giving notice, you're saying bye to colleagues that you've built relationships with, like. That can be scary, and I think the new, you know, the new opportunity should stay in in touch with you, should keep you excited, build momentum. So first of all, day one isn't like scary first day of school or anything. It's actually something you're building towards, and it should just be a continuous process. So then, when individuals do have an opportunity to come in, they've got some background, they've got some context, they've got the basics, but they've kept their excitement level up like they had in the recruiting process, and then it's a continuous um, process throughout
0: that's that's extremely interesting and i don't think i've ever covered onboarding with these eyes which i'm very grateful for uh, i'm very grateful for um cam thank you so much for for all your availability so far and we're heading towards the end of the conversation and i wanted to ask you one i believe simple final question but you'll tell me if it's simple or not and we spoke a lot about leaders and we spoke about the change within organizations we touched on cultural change so automatically my question goes to would you have one simple suggestion let's let's use it as a sort of a golden nugget to leaders out there or listening to this um that want to make a quick impact or a quick step towards towards a larger impact within their um organizational culture is there any anything that is within you believe anybody's reach that could set the first step the first brick towards a better culture
1: yeah i would actually start with get, sourcing your data every company has their different problems right so um whether that's a pulse survey an engagement survey find out what people are feeling and then build your strategy from there because i could say what we have you know today we do these things but our culture, our team, our, you know, we're in a different journey and I think every org is like that. Your first starting point should be collecting feedback on how things are going and build from there. There is no one size fits all solution to anything. Um, and so use the simple tools that are out there, get feedback and then what I would force yourself to do is come up with one or two things that you feel like you can tackle. Now you're hearing the voice of your team those those teammates are telling you what you need what they need the most from you and now you can customize your solutions that's the fastest way to really make it a you know collaborative culture i strongly believe that it's all of us that create culture yes the leader sets the tempo but we should create it together because then we're all cr- we're excited about the outcome so get source your data find out what's going on
0: amazing is there anything that you personally Hope to see in the future when it comes to organizational culture.
1: I always look for. I I, I think we need to embrace that the fact is this that, that we need to be creating healthy environments for people. So I am a huge advocate of thinking through you know support from a mental health standpoint, support from a well being standpoint, so that that's you know Wellness Weeks, PTO, those types of things. I would love to make sure that we you know if I could call out to all of my fellow people leaders. Always think about that. Be intentional, be proactive. As a person myself who has had burnout in in jobs, you don't realize it's coming. And so frankly, if you can create these cultures that think through that um, and focus on the well-being and the whole self, I do think we'll be in a better spot. I think we'll have happier workers. I think everybody will be more excited about the impact that they can make because we can do it in a healthy and sustained way.
0: This is the best message I could hope for. And Kim, again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time and being on Step Zero. And hopefully we can do this again at some point very soon.
1: Absolutely. It's an important topic.
0: Thank you very much.